Hey, what's going on in the money family? Just wanted to give you an update this week on what's going on around in the money podcast circle. JK plus one has been a huge success. He's going to have Steve Bick on this week. Be really interesting to uh, find out the ins and out about Steve Bick's life. We also have more Lone Star coverage. Pete and JK going over the early double each and every racing day. And last but not least, the Stronic 5 show. Pete and JK each week go through the sequence. The bet is a $1 minimum with a 12% takeout. Gotta love those low takeout bets. Last week it paid $7,000 for a buck with only two horses above $10. Nothing over $16 in last week's sequence. So if you only find a couple logicals and one or two, you know, nice middle-priced horses, come out with a lot of cash. Check that show out Wednesday or Thursday, and don't forget to play the bet every single Friday. Now let's get started with this week's Redboard Rewind. Welcome to episode 39 of Redboard Rewind. I'm your host, Spencer Luganbuehl. Today my special guest is someone who you've heard on the In The Money Airwaves, and someone who loves crushing New York on a daily basis talking with Pete on Saturday's Nyra Bet Show. My special guest today is Matt Bagvolgi. We cover three races today from last Saturday's Belmont Stakes card, race 5, 9, and 10. And some angles that we go over are how review after a race card can make you a profitable player, how overanalyzing can stop you from trying to beat the best horse in a race, and why it's never a good thing to take a short price on a horse trying a surface for the first or second time. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old And now I'd like to welcome in a special guest to Redboard Rewind. I'm stealing him from Pete's podcast on the Naira Betts show. It's Matt Magvolgi. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great, Spencer. How are you? I am hanging in there for sure. How was your weekend overall for Belmont? Uh, it was good. I mean, you know, it's, it's on one side you look at it, it's a very different, uh, very different Belmont. I had a, just a totally different feel from the very obvious to just – looking at the total card, but, you know, at the end of the day, you have to remind yourself, if you went back a couple of months, I mean, man, I was thinking we probably wouldn't even have a Belmont, so the fact that we actually had it, I thought was great, um, I thought it was a good weekend, nice weather, and, and uh, different, but I certainly, certainly enjoyed it, for sure. Not not to be a stickler, but I've heard people say the same thing about the Santa Anita card from a couple of weeks back, and I'm just like, we have racing in great in all the good jurisdictions again. Like, what are we complaining about at this point? Yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. And it's funny. My uh, my wife said this a while ago. She's like, I find this absolutely hilarious that the only thing that's still running, the only sport that's still going, is horse racing, the thing that you love the most. So, <laughs> so we've been we've been fortunate through I think the whole time. But yeah, if you look at it now. I just think we've got great racing and, and all the major tracks. Um, I think there's a lot of horses out there that are, that are dying to run and we're seeing some big competitive fields. And no, I think it's, I, I think it's been great. I, it's, it's the best of a bad situation, but you know, I, I certainly, uh, certainly can't complain that we've got horse racing going. And for people who don't know yet, uh, Churchill Downs already has next Saturday's card already on uh, DRF and Brisnet. So get to handicapping early, ladies and gentlemen, tell me a little bit about, what got you into racing, Matt? What kind of started your career process? 
Yeah, it's kind of um, it, it's similar to my hockey career. Um, not a single person in my family ever played hockey or ever had any interest in hockey, and somehow I found myself playing and uh, you know playing all the way up through the ranks for you know since I was uh, three years old. So uh, horse racing was similar. Uh, I went to school uh, just I went to school in Schenectady, New York, which is near uh, Saratoga Springs, and uh, I was up there. I was I was working uh, one of the million jobs that I had uh, working for a roofing company up there, and and so I was living at school. And one of the guy, one of my roommates on my hockey team, was like, "Hey, we're gonna." we're going to go to the track today. You want to come? And I just kind of shook my head. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, no, like what else are we doing? And then the ultimate convincer was, Hey, you can bring your own beer into the track if you want to. <laughs> I said, no, no, fine. That, that'll, that'll work for me. And that's the angle that, uh, that, that got me in there. And uh, I just, I think back all these years that I had to be convinced to go to Saratoga, just, uh, just boggles my mind. But I, I, you know, that was the first time I was there was just a, a random Saturday over the summer and uh, just kind of fell in love with the place right away. And as soon as I walked in there, I mean, I think an hour into being there, I asked my buddy, I'm like, is this place open tomorrow? Uh, <laughs> it was a great scene, great environment. You know, that was the first track, obviously, I, I've been to. And and then kind of the wheels started to turn from there. It's Again, I think it, I, I relate a lot of horse racing to, you know, being into it. I would say seriously into it uh, for the last, you know, 10, 12 years. But you know, when I look at my career in finance, really started the same way. I mean, walking into an intro to financial markets mm-hmm. and having my professor have CNBC on, and I saw all the tickers and, you know, all these numbers flashing across the screen, and, and it almost, like, frustrated me that I didn't know what was going on. And I remember saying to myself, like, one day I'll know what all those numbers mean, and, and I'll, 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 I'll be into it on a different level. And I think to where I am today, where that's exactly the case, same thing happened in horse racing. I just saw everybody looking at this racing form, and I looked at it, and I'm like, this might as well be Chinese. I have no idea what any of this stuff means. And just kind of saying the same same thing to myself, like, you know, one day I want to figure this out. Like, one day I really want to I want to dive into this and, and, and get into it. And, you know, fast forward to today, I mean, it's just a totally different ballgame. You know, instead of reading the racing form, I'm basically kind of creating a racing form every day for myself. So, it's it's been an interesting journey. Again, no no one really in my family has gotten into it. It was more of just a real interest to the game and and the puzzle aspect to it. And then once I got into it more, the personalities involved and just kind of the lifestyle, everything everything into it is uh, is is certainly the the, the number one hobby that uh, that I have in my life for sure. It's funny. I kind of find it the same way. Growing up, I was a really big Call of Duty player for uh, Xbox One, PS4, video gaming. And for me, after I would play for a day, I'd go on at night and I'd watch these professionals, you know, live streaming on certain stuff like Twitch or those stations and trying to learn the game more and more. And I think it's the same thing with horse racing. Like Benny Southstreet always says, don't get outworked. I try and put as much effort in. Like if, I, if I'm if i done handicapping the card for my weekly head-to-head for the Daily Gallop, then I'm looking at races that I have from six months ago and just, okay, I don't have the scratches, but let me try and like figure out each race by race and just, you know, handicapping in book even though the results have already happened, you can still learn so much by not knowing those results already. It's just the same with poker. You know, how many hands you play and how many races you handicap, it correlates into your skill gap. Absolutely. And again, that's why, you know, we were chatting before why I think this platform for the show is so great. If I look back at, you know, the things that have changed me as a handicapper and how I've done well, you know, whether it's the NHC or other cash tournaments or just being a positive ROI horse player for, for a lot of years now is, is this process of going back through reviewing your bets, reviewing races, and just going through different scenarios and how the race played out. Would you've done anything differently? You know, was it tangible? Meaning just, 
you know, bad ticket making or construction or the way you saw the race, or was it the intangible? Something, something weird happened, right? So you were still on it, but it just, it was different. And, you know, you alluded to, you know, not, or you said not, not being outworked. I can't agree with that more. And I think if there's one big thing that's drawn me to horse racing to where I am today of, you know, one thing I would say in hockey is you, you have to embrace and love the quiet. And what I mean by that is, you got to love the 5 a.m. workouts, right? You got to love when you're there and the buzz of the lights and that's it, right? Uh-huh. And, and you're just, you're, you're trying to make yourself better. And another big thing for me was as I got, you know, deeper and higher into my career, which is, you know, being at the arena, going through uh, film, just watching hours and hours of film, going through different plays, going through, you know, power play, penalty kill, whatever the case may be, watching, just watching yourself play and watching it, uh, you know, play out, I think really, helps you build your game and pulls things out for you. And it does the same thing in terms of, of going back through your bets and horse racing, going back through races and seeing how it all, how it all plays out, even when it's not the best scenario. Right? I think it's, it's actually a great process not to just annoy yourself, but to go back through where you know you made a mistake, right? to, to show yourself doing it. You know, when you start to see things like that, your brain is incredibly, it, it's just an incredible uh, it, 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 long-term when you're looking at it. It's just you notice these things. So when that situation comes up again, the brain kicks in and says, do we want to make this mistake again? So I, I just think the overall review process, the study of that, that's something that I think I've taken from, from my hockey days and really brought over to, to horse racing. And, you know, I, I just think that it's, it's, it's a skill that I think it's the gap between good and great. In my opinion, I think when you're taking that time to really, really uh, sharpen your skills this way, um, yeah, like Benny said, if, if you're, you don't want to be outworked, and I think that's this is part of the process of, of how you make that happen. As we go through and talk about these races today, I had one race where I had a great opinion, and I had one race where I had a terrible opinion. Or I might have had a good opinion in one race and a, and a bad opinion in the same race where I couldn't combine two horses. It's all about, like, now I don't know if you do this, but I know Ryan McCarthy, uh, one of my writers for Santanita, he'll play the races Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then he charts Monday and Tuesday. Do you do a lot of charting as well? I, I do, and uh, I would say one of the benefits, uh, like for for me, like my my uh, my job has changed completely since all this 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 COVID stuff mm-hmm. hit. It's I used to travel, you know, five days a week, and and uh, you'll be on the road everywhere. Where my commute has been across the hallway for the last three months, and <laughs> um, I've I've done that a lot more. Where the answer is yes, it's just sometimes it gets difficult with with uh, with the with the with the job. But no, there there's a like a lot of today tomorrow also uh sometimes on sundays if i'm not playing a lot um i'll go back through them in the morning um but just having the the ability to review yeah i do a lot of a lot of the charting i do a lot of you know things that i've seen you know i, I use stats race lens a lot and mm-hmm. i think one of the perceptions i get sometimes is like whether you use formulator or stats is is that it's you're all driven on the statistics i don't think that's the case i think when using it as a support in addition to your overall process part of going through the races, I'll start to see some things that are similar and I'll be curious, you know, different post positions, you know, different pace scenarios. I'll start to jot those down. And then part of that, like review days, like you mentioned, are very similar for me where I'll spend some time and just, you know, run some angles. I'll, I'll run some different ideas to see if, uh, you know, if I'm on something or onto something, you know, it's, it's that, that in that review process, you start to see certain things and you try to put things together just to make yourself better for, for, for the days ahead. On a lot of the dirt races, I, I, handicap i try and guess will i see progression decline or will they stay like you know within five or six buyer points of of their last race and i try to like you know i have a separate notebook next to me i write down certain races and certain horses and just like double check 
check back, see if the Spire improved or not, just to see how strong of an opinion I could have had in that race. And there's some races where I bet, you know, X amount, and I should have bet 3X because I was 100% right about one horse. Or I could have been like, well, good job betting small in this race because you thought something and you were, you know, incorrect, and the horse improved drastically. Yeah, yeah, no, and again, I just think it's all involved in that process, when you're starting to pay attention, you start to realize things or things just stick out to you where, you know, Hey, let me, let me look back and check. Or it also, I think when you combine the statistical side to the, the video review, to the, the, the PPs you've have in front of you, to just what your experience tells you, you know, you start to combine a lot of those things. It's what gives you the edge. And then what gives you, I would say what's helped me is just combining all of that of just not being afraid to really push hard on horses. I'm really confident on, like you mentioned, right? Maybe you should have pushed hard on that horse and, 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 and maybe drawn back on another, but I think that's what's helped me in that process of just being very comfortable of playing horses hard. And um, I think I'm, I'm betting more in dollars, but betting less races, right? Which I always think is a good thing. And, and I think that I, that's a direct result of just really finding a couple of great opportunities throughout the day and, and, and playing them, uh, playing them accordingly i mean that's mike maloney from pete's book he says if you're not passing winners you're you're playing too many races and i just i agree with that so much you, you watch new players that come in they want to play 12 races every day and it's like whoa slow down like once you start learning how to handicap in the process like find three or four races and i know it stinks if it's once in the first race and once in the eighth race but you know plenty of food to eat at the racetrack you know plenty of times to sit back and have a beer and just watch people i think just don't understand that they I would love to see if people cut down half their races, how much better their ROIs would be on a year-to-year basis. I'm a a living example of that. I mean, just a constant negative ROI of just a lot of tonnage going through. Once I started to really trim that down and become really disciplined on, on how I was playing. And, you know, I, I think back of when I really felt I was getting it, when I handicapped an entire card, I put it down and I watched the Yankee game. You know what I mean? Like I, Mm -hmm. I don't place a bet the entire day, even after going through all that process of handicapping, because you're just feeling that your capital, your best bet is not making a bet that day. It's hard to come to that conclusion. It's, It's hard to not want the action. Um, you know, I think another thing that I've done too, is like separate ADW accounts. You know, I have play money that I'll just make a small action bets where I have another ADW. That's my, that's, that's my tracker. Like that's the measure of my success throughout the year. So when you have that, I think I started to take more pride in that value where do I want to play this, you know, late pick five that I fast, I, I, I fast cap for 10 minutes, right. Or do I want to take a step back and say, you know, listen, is this going to be a reflection of my long-term goal for the year and how that's going to impact it? If I keep doing that, that's the stuff that eats away at the ROI. It just, it's that, that chip away effect where discipline, you know, you're, you're looking at plays that you put your time into, you go through your process. I'm just coming at from, from a personal standpoint, that, that has been a big game changer for me of just making the plays that you're confident in, but also be, be confident and self-aware enough to, to walk away when uh, when you see it's just not uh, not not in the cards for 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 uh, for that day, and I'm sure we can both admit horse racing Twitter is kind of a barren wasteland. I'm not going to name the handicapper, but somebody came out and you know gave a ticket out, and it must have made, it was a pick five, and it made like twenty two dollars on Belmont Stakes Day, and people were ridiculing this person. I'm just like, he made money, you guys probably lost money, and you're ridiculing someone. Sure, like this is not a positive ROI in the long run, but who you have no idea how he plays his tickets. He had a winning day. He had a ticket and people just love to take it out. Misery loves company. That's the best thing I can say about horse racing Twitter. Sometimes. 
Yes, uh, I, I completely agree. And I think a big point there, again, is just becoming, it's, it's the results-oriented conversation. Mm-hmm. If it didn't have 20,000 or extra commas or extra zeros to that, it's, it's kind of worthless. That's not the case. I mean, being right, and then to me, it's all about net return, right? You know, what I say mm-hmm. in my business, the only return on this planet that matters is net return. There's total return. There's all these different things out there. Net return, what ends up in your pocket at the end of the day is the only thing that matters. And I think some of my best bets of like betting three and four dollars on pick fours that came back like 800 bucks. Like to me, that's an unbelievable bet mm-hmm. of just risking so little and having that come back the way that it did. Now, in the scope of things of hits that I've had of, you know, 40, 50, 100,000, I mean, you look at you look at those and say, yeah, those were great. But, you know, when when you when you're handicapping, I think the success comes from what your opinions are. Did you did you make your opinions become a reality in the way that you constructed your best in tickets and the fact that you're able to, to, to draw a profit to me, something like that, I think is great. I mean, I think that's, that's phenomenal where your opinions turn into a profit, no matter how big or small, I think it's great. And you mentioned one of the, one of the positives of, uh, of this COVID lockdown for me is having the opportunity to, uh, to, to read, uh, to read betting with an edge. So I did uh, get quite a bit from, uh, from Mike in, uh, uh, in that book. I had Mike on the show. He was a great guest. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm trying to teach a couple of newbie handicappers, a couple who are in the, uh, the Daily Gallup contest, and they're trying to figure out, you know, like what bankroll is and all that. And so I said, well, what do you want to bet? Like, what what, do you, what can you lose for a meet? And they said 500. I said, okay. I said, let's break down Barry Meadows' book, 5%. That's 25 bucks a race card. And they're like, so we can't play pick fives. And I said, exactly. There's so many people have like a $200 bankroll and they're playing $85 pick fives and then they're going to the ATM and not understanding why. The the, the thing in horse racing is you're you're not trying to play day by day. You're you're trying to survive every day and keep that bankroll either you know going in the positive or having enough that when you have that five to ten bad day streak that you still have enough to where you're not just completely miserable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's part of the education process. To me, I always want to be getting better. I mm-hmm. always want to look for something additional that I can be learning. And whether it's through different books or just, you know, listening to different people and how their process goes and things that, that, that they do. I mean, you know, perfection is impossible in my eyes, but the pursuit of it is everything, right? The more that you try to better yourself, the more you try to add and have different things. I mean, I'm, I'm the crazy person that read, uh, you know, Mike's book along with um, uh, Pete sent me over uh, Modern Pace Handicapping. I read that book like a textbook. I mean, I think I took like, you know, two notebooks through, you know, full, full of notes through that. It's very technical, very, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tougher read. But to me, it's just an opportunity to just see things differently, to get better and, and start to think about my process and how I want to add certain things. In. And I'll say this on – Betting with an Edge, I think, if you haven't read it, get out there and, and, and get a copy of it and, and read it. It's, it's worth it. It's, it's an easy read in terms of it's like a conversation with Mike, you know, but he gives so much information, different angles that I picked up that I've literally been able to replicate in stats race lines that are there every time I log in. You know, stuff like that, I think the experience side, but also his betting style, I, I just think is uh, there's a lot of incredible information uh, in that book. Now, you were talking about process in there as well. Kind of tell me, uh, you can do it. It can be as long or as short as you want. Just what you do when you first open that first page of the PPs. What's your process? Break it down from A to Z. Yeah, I mean, my, my process to start, I, I want to I wanna combine my handicapping experience with the, the data that I have that I either created on my own or I use through different products. 
for me, I mean, I think the best past performances out there, in my opinion, are Timeform US. So I use Timeform a lot. That's kind of the first part of what I do is I will thumb through the cards. So I'll look to see, you know, kind of who's running, anybody that I re- any horse that I recognize. But I also look at the pace projector, too, to see are there any different pace scenarios that I want to sit in my head and then I want to, I want to think about looking a little bit deeper into and then there's the technical side of it. So the two sides are um, in an algorithm that I've, I've set up that I feed data to. Um, I like it because um, I don't have names of horses on there, so you don't get that bias right away. But it's, a, um, you know, it, it's an algorithm that will give an idea of just different strengths I'm looking for. I won't go into that in detail, but it just gives me an idea, an overview of the card, um, any horses that really stand out that I want to look deeper into. And then I think another great thing with, with stats race lens is, you know, you're able to save all of these handicap capping angles and all of the analysis you do. I'll look at that homepage and just scan through and see if there are any angles that pop up that I really like that I want to take a deeper dive. So it's a combination of a lot of, a lot of data, but also to just the visual, get an overview of the card. And then I'll start, I'll whittle that down. Uh, for me is my first run through is I'm trying to eliminate horses. I'm not necessarily looking for, horses that I want to bet, but can I statistically eliminate horses? Can I take a 10 horse field and knock it down to a seven horse field? Right. When I think that does, it allows you to spend more of your brain power, more of your time to the appropriate horses in the race, but also leave you the time that's really necessary is building your tickets and building your ideas. So I think that's kind of like a, a, you know, a a big overview of, of how I kind of start the day. And then once I start to look at different races that I like, I start to react out and say, okay, this is part of a pick five. This is part of a pick three or a good double sequence, that sort of thing. But, you know, one of my rules, discipline rules is that if I don't go through that full process, I don't allow myself to make bets of any significance. Um, It keeps me away from those action bets where I'm spending what I would usually Mm -hmm. spend, you know, when I handicap a sequence in, in, in full. So, uh, I, yeah, I say for me, it's more of a combination of the statistical side of things, but then also looking, going through the PPs, uh, watching rates, replays, that sort of thing. And I like to break that up too. If possible, I like to break that up where I'm doing all of my handicapping the day before. And then the next day is a refresher, fresh brain where I'm going to look at building my tickets at that point. I just think I'm allowed to spend more time, give it more thought and really apply my opinions the best way. I just, if you look back when I first started, building the tickets was always like at the very end, you spend all this time handicapping and then you look up, there's five minutes to post and you're just scribbling down something and, and throwing yeah. in bets. To me, that process needs to be either equal or reversed, spending more time on the ticket side of things versus the handicapping. Uh, but for me, breaking those up into different days of the full process and then, and then building bets after that, it's just, it's something I've paid attention to over the years and the ROI has gone along with it. So it's certainly something that I think that's, that's helped me uh, become a better horse player. For me, I kind of do it. I've I've kind of implemented different stuff throughout the years. Like I used to just go one, two, three, four, like everyone else. Now I start with uh, the favorite in the race, but I also I do all dirt sprints first. Then I do all the dirt routes, then turf sprints, turf routes, and then I also go by class level as well. Like to me, I don't like jumping from a turf route stake to a dirt sprint maiden claiming race. It's just the way you're trying to think on a dirt sprint is okay. You want to find speed. You want to find horses with improving figures. And then you jump into a turf and you almost have to flip your brain completely the opposite way and think, I think by doing it that way, you at least kind of have an idea of if there's three dirt sprints, okay, you can kind of get those out of the way. And sometimes there are no races, you know, dirt sprints, dirt routes. So you're just most looking at turf for the day. 
And I just feel doing it that way really opens it up to figuring out certain specifics in the brain as well. Yeah, no, for, for sure. I, it, for me, a, a little bit for me, it's just I'm looking at like horses relative to their competition. And then I'll look to see class. All that stuff starts to come in to play. So I'm really trying to zero in on, you know, again, I, my, my goal is to try to come up with maybe, you know, three or four opinions. Right. If I can come up with three or four strong opinions in the day, then I start to react out a little bit more and see if I can tie it into other bets. Or, you know, to me, the, the pick five is probably the bet I, I play the most just based on takeout, based on the, the pool size. The, you know, I just think that you're, you're, you're getting fair value just about every time when you're, when you're playing in there. And, you know, I, I just, but again, it doesn't have to be pick fives all the time. It could be doubles. I've had a lot of success playing, playing just doubles, but you know, zeroing in on certain horses relative to competition and then kind of folding in everything else. So I think whether, you know, whether it's, it's, it's your process, whether it's mine, it's just, I think of coming up with a process, right. Of having some, some formality to what you're doing. When you, when you do that, you start to recognize things, you start to be sharper, notice things more. And I just think it's just going to make you a better horse play in the long run. What do you say we jump into these races that we've decided to go over today? The first race was the fifth race from Belmont on Saturday. It was a maiden special weight. 64,000 was the purse going seven furlongs on the dirt. Matt, where'd you start off in here? So when, when I look at this race here, uh, you know, again, there's a couple of different directions that, that, that you can go into. And, you know, you can look at some of, some of the horses I thought would take money. Uh, you know, when you look at this main special weight of, of the, the, the seven uh, rare stripe, and, and I thought also to that it's possible the one would take some money as well. Those want up being two horses that I think that I, I want up being against. And, you know, if you looked at the one, I thought the one just had a, a, a lot of chances, uh, losing at short odds. I don't necessarily think was compromised really in any of those races. And then I was against the, 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 the you know, when you looked at the seven rare stripe, I thought, you know, again, second start had an opportunity to improve for sure. But I just felt that, you know, knocks against that, that race. And I just felt it was very even. So I wanted to look elsewhere. So when I, when I looked at this, it took a step out and said, okay, on a pace perspective, I thought, you know, kind of narrowed it down to two. I thought the two of trouble would, would set the pace, would, would get out there and might be alone on the lead. Right now, the other X factor that you can play into this is the, the first time starter, uh, the eight happy saver mm-hmm. uh, for, uh, for Todd Pletcher and uh, Rod Ortiz. And, you know, when you, when you looked at, you know, I, I I, I, the more I looked into this race, the more I wanted a fresh face. So I kept coming back to the first time starter here. Um, but I felt play it two ways that if, if the first or didn't start and show it or didn't break well or show any speed, I felt the two little trouble can get out there and steal it. Uh, but you know, I felt that the, uh, the, the eight happy saver had a big shot in here. First time out, obviously Pletcher does great with first time starters. If you look at his three-year-olds uh, first that are starting for the first time, you know, 21% winners, with uh, forty, just just under fifty uh, percent in the money, the bigger one I thought was the the jockey trainer combination here. First time starters with Pletcher and uh, Irad. You looked at uh, you know winners fifty four percent winners and one hundred and five percent positive ROI. So even with those strong connections, you're still there's still a lot of meat on the bone there when you look at uh, on a on a profit standpoint. So for me, when I looked at it, I felt that I was gonna I was gonna drill into the uh, to the first time starter, as well as use the two O trouble. I thought the five with, you know, the added distance, uh, the, the angry man would, would be, uh, uh, would, would be in the mix as well. But when it all came down to it, I felt that those, those were the two that, uh, that I was going to stick to the most here. When looking at first time starters, are you a big workout guy? Cause I know guys like Benny South street, like the way they can break down a workout report is incredible. Do you, do you kind of like look at that as well? Or, or was it more of the trainer 
jockey combination in this sense? Um, I mean, again, it's not. I'm not. I'll never use a statistic all by itself. If mm-hmm. I see something like it's like, oh, I got to run to the windows and bet it. I like to keep it in context where I'm trying to look at the entire field. Um, no, I mean, looking at workouts, I think is is fantastic. I think XBTV is if you haven't had a chance to, to to hop on there and take a look of just a lot of different workouts that you're able to see, and then just looking at the the actual figures. And and again, that's something you can play around with too in stats race plans. But no, I definitely look at at, at workouts. Um, I would say, you know, questions overall, if you kind of looked at, you know, the group that, that I bet with was, you know, why is this horse here should be placed elsewhere? You know, I just don't think this, I think the spotting of it is, is, is interesting uh, in a negative way. I just felt that when you look at everything combined, I just, uh, you know, looking at the competition here, I think there's knocks on just about, in my opinion, on a lot of these horses. So I, I kind of kept coming back to the fresh face, but no, definitely, definitely workouts are, are in there. I would say it's not one of my, my strongest suits, something that, uh, that I, I would say right now, looking at different pace designs and, and looking at, uh, looking at uh, workouts in terms of progressions, I think are a big thing I'm working on now, but, uh, but no, definitely, definitely part of the mix for sure when, uh, when handicapping first years. For me, uh, like I'm sure everyone else who listens to the program, I love maiden maiden races in general. Uh, the buyer par in this race was an 87. You take it down five points based on uh, James Quinn's old thing down to an 82. And I saw O Trouble as a horse, that second time out improvement, and Rare Stripe would both be over the buyer par. And I forgot, forget what the stat is based on one of his books, but when you have two or more horses that are going to race above the buyer par possibly, you can throw a lot of the firsters out with uh, confidence. And I think that by doing that, I didn't really dig deeper into, you know, Irad Pletcher and also the fact that Irad is still 30% and going off at prices like he did with this horse. This horse was four to one going into the gate. And just in this race, it was kind of a misstep. And I know that overall, I probably will end up doing okay with that kind of statistic or that kind of process. I mean, when I look back at it, rare stripe, Coming off out of uh, Shug's barn for Jack Sisterson, that's a negative. The horse took okay money, I guess, going off at seven to one in the debut. And oh, trouble! I like the fact that Johnny stayed for someone like Dutro, but Dutro hasn't even won a race all year. So there was definitely negatives that I probably wouldn't see on a second time starter. That there definitely were with these types of horses. Yeah, no, I, I agree. As I kept kind of going through the field, I felt there was just some knocks, some things that I just wasn't really confident when I'm making that kind of A B you know, separation. Mm-hmm. I just kept coming back. I felt it was just more of a pace scenario and the fresh face and just having good connections. I felt like those were the, those were the two I just kept coming back to of, of different scenarios. But I think those were, those are the ones that, that I will look down to. What did, uh, what did you do from a wagering tra- uh, spot here? Uh, so what I did in terms of, so um, I, I was involved in, in a pick five, the early pick five that mm-hmm. I just had the two and the eight. And then um, I also started uh, doubles into into the sixth. So um, so I hooked up. So I I, I graded them differently. Um, I I felt with the, just looking at the board with the price, I felt I was getting away maybe with a with a good price. But again, first you know sometimes the board tells you tells you more of a negative story here. But uh, I pressed the the uh, the eight in the first leg of the double here, and then I had uh, another double with uh, the two O trouble and going into uh, Sweet and Lion for the next race. So that's kind of the wagering strategy was more of a, a, a press side there on those two. I just felt like, you know, at the end of the day, those were the two I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live and die with in, in the race here. For me, it was the number seven rare stripe in the Daily Gallup head-to-head contest. Let's see if Matt can get his doubles home here or if I can get rare stripe across the board in the fifth on Belmont Stakes Day right now. And they're off. 
Happy Saver away well from the outside. Now Oh Trouble moves up. Oh Trouble pokes ahead in front. Happy Saver is right there in second. Just in behind, it's the Angry Man in third and alongside Shadow Boat. Shadow Boat and the Angry Man heads apart third and fourth. They've got two and a half lengths on a rare stripe who's in fifth. Down on the inside is Muta Camille in sixth. Island Man runs in seventh, and Uncle Ned trails the field in eighth. The opening quarter mile in 22 and three-fifths seconds as they head into the far turn. And it's Oh Trouble, now clear by three-quarters of a length. Happy Saver, first-time starter on the outside in second. The Angry Man and Shadow Boat. Their heads apart third and fourth. Muta Camille has gotten closer. And on his outside, it is Rare Stripe. Half mile, 45 and two. Oh, Trouble, Happy Saver, they are right together as they come for the quarter pole. Oh, Trouble on the inside, Happy Saver on the outside, Happy Saver on the outside of Oh, Trouble, Oh, Trouble on the inside, Happy Saver, the two of them continue to battle it out with a furlong to the finish, Happy Saver's now in front. Oh, Trouble is back running in second, Muta Camille with a late run, and the angry man, but Happy Saver is going to win. First time out under Erod Ortiz Jr. And it's a photo for second between the angry man, O Trouble, and Muta Camille. And the number eight, Happy Saver, gets it done paying 10.80 with an 89 buyer. First time out for Pletcher. That's a pretty good stat when you have a horse pay $10, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, again, I was, was onto this horse, uh, you know, more, I won't say default, but it kind of was, just like we tied. Just a lot of knocks against other horses in here. Wanted the fresh face. A, I, I thought the price was crazy, and uh, to break mm -hmm. news here, uh, you'll never get that on this horse ever again. <laughs> uh, and and the second thing is, it's just it's really cool to see, in my opinion, a first first time starter that really just levels out so nicely in the stretch. I mean, just really came home nicely. Uh, I did not expect to see that kind of a performance. I thought fit uh, again. Uh, I, I thought there were some nice efforts here, but man, it wasn't even close at the end of the day. It's interesting looking back now on a horse. Like I know you said you liked the one, and uh, he ran fourth. This horse seemed to just do better second off of a layoff. So it, this might have been the one for me that, like, as I noticed that, okay, first time out of the box, the horse will probably run, you know, fourth or fifth. Now we might see the improvement come back again second time out of the box. Yeah, and I also thought, too, the the, uh, the five angry men. I, I thought um, I thought ran a lot better than I expected. Um, it caught my Caught me, caught me on the radar of just, hey, you know, some at a distance I think would help this horse. I, I thought finished up nice. But, uh, but yeah, I had, I had to watch this one a couple of times. So I kept focusing on, uh, on Happy Saver coming in, just, just looking really nice out there. And I tell you, that, that, uh, that price is an absolute gift for sure. When you see a race like this where, you know, there's two pretty short-priced favorites and they both, one doesn't even end up hitting the board and the other one runs a pretty deep third, does this race almost think of you as it's a weaker race? Like when this horse, Happy Saver, if he comes back in an allowance, like, okay, well, what did he beat coming out of this race type thing? Yeah, I, 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 th I, think, I think so. And I think that's, that's a, it's a good example of just making sure that your eyes aren't playing tricks on you too. Sometimes that'll happen. A, look, a horse will just look so impressive, but then when you really look at the performances of, of everyone else in the field just being so par or just being able to go back. And, and again, another thing that's attached to stats is just going back and being able to click and, and it runs right through the charts. And I can see, you know, going forward, obviously I'm able to see where these horses end up and how they do. I think it's something to watch, but you know, again, for me, I just seeing how that horse finished up, 
I really don't care. It really almost doesn't matter to me who else was in that field. I just thought that mm-hmm. was ultra impressive and just, just really looked good. Uh, good, really looked good coming home in the stretch. The one, or I'm sorry, the seven rare stripe probably needs to drop in class and the number two O trouble kind of equaled his buyer coming right back with a 78 again. You think probably class drops for both, or you think O Trouble can still kind of hang with these in the maiden special weight? Um, I think I think O Trouble can hang. Again, I'm not. I, I just, you know, I'm still not a big fan of of Bear Stripe. I think the drop there will certainly will mm-hmm. certainly help. Um, I think O Trouble is kind of horse that you know. I think if can find the right pace scenario, like for instance, if if you took the first time starter out of here and and O Trouble just got to a, a very like easy lead on, on alone, I, I think that's going to be a i think O'Trouble is going to be very difficult to beat i still think can hang with, with a group like this as soon as i saw happy saber just really sitting outside of um of O'Trouble and just looking so comfortable i just felt like there's a lot in the tank here and and just couldn't let uh couldn't let uh, O'Trouble get get on that easy lead i think i think the two O'Trouble can hang with this group i just again i i think a, a, another knock for me when it came to, to rear strike but again i think a drop in class can certainly can certainly help any other horses real quick based on trips or based on possible performances in this that you think might be good next time out at a bigger price? Um, I, I just, like I said, I, I think the, I think the five angry man is a horse I want to, I want to pay attention to. I just, I thought finished up nicely. I, again, a combination where I think the winner was that, that impressive. And uh, now I'll be interested to see where, uh, where this horse ends up next. But uh, I, I thought, uh, I thought the five finished up, uh, finished up pretty good in this race. Let's go a little bit deeper into the card now. We're going to go to Belmont Race 9. It was the Grave 1 Jiper, six furlongs on the turf. This was my favorite race of the day for the whole day. Just a lot of really good horses. Where did you end up going here? Please tell me it wasn't a hidden scroll. <laughs> I think that uh, the two horses that I heard the most out of this race, of just people that I talked to uh, both, you know, night before, was Hidden Scroll and uh, Stubbins the Five. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like if, if if I left a message for somebody, it would say, "Leave a message after the tone." By the way, I'm betting Stubbins and, and Hidden Scroll. <laughs> like I felt like every every person that I talked to just had the same the same answer, and it it was it was like a positive negative thing because it's like, man, am I missing something? And I I thought not. Um, I just think that Hidden Scroll is heading in the wrong direction. I get it. Lost lost the jock first time out in the turf. You want to see how this horse can do out there. I just was not impressed with races leading up up to this. Again, totally different story early on in the career. I thought that you know <laughs> the, the the strangle scenario uh, early on in this horse's career, trying to take <laughs> him off the pace. That's a whole other story. We won't go down there because. Uh, I almost had to take a trip to Best Buy for a new flat screen TV after that one, but we'll 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 move on from there. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't uh, I was Hidden Scrolls off the tickets completely for me. Um, I I really didn't get Stubbins. I mean, again, I I just I didn't see it in this group. I thought there was a lot of other opportunities elsewhere, mm-hmm. and I the, the the horse I went back to heavy in in this race here was Pure Sensation. Um, I thought five to two on the morning line. I thought was uh, probably not what I was going to get. Maybe seven to five, eight to five. But then you look at you know just the talent in this field. You know maybe I do get five to two. Maybe I do get three to one, something like that. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just felt that pure sensation is is getting back to you know six furlongs. I think is 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 a solid distance. Now I know when you look back off a long layoff, but this horse has proven to to fire fresh off a layoff, and you know I'm throwing that that five furlong sprint at that weird distance in in uh in at the breeders cup at santa anita um just didn't break well you're compromised immediately 
I felt the outside post positions was, is, is where he wanted to be. He was stuck in the two-hole that day. So I kind of tossed that race. And if I look back at everything before there, I just felt that this horse can really show some nice speed. I think Irad will, will, will get this horse out and, and get, get to the lead. Even if there is pressure there, even if Hidden Scroll does come out in pressure, I felt that Pure Sensation is the class of the field and, uh, and would be tough to catch in the stretch. Now, if that speed... Uh, you know, if it does take its toll, if you do see Hidden School really come out and pressure Pure Sensation and soften them up, I felt the the, the clear closer out of this was the two uh, Alexandra and and again with that as a positive, I try to balance that. I think I had a speed horse that I really liked, and that was my lone A, but my lone B in this case was the two Alexandra and. The thing I like is that if you do get that hot pace up front, I don't think there's anyone better. And if you look at my figures, by far the top late pace figure uh, for this horse. So I think, you know, Rosario also has a tremendous clock there, too, of just being able to time these races. And that was the horse I'd want coming from off of it. The only problem I have is just how deep this horse comes from out of it, too. I just, I, you know, again, I, I, I try to beat those types of horses, to be honest with you. And I just felt that uh, Alexandra might have too much to do in, in the stretch to, to run down. Uh, pure sensation but th- those were the two horses i looked at um i thought texas wedge was interesting um but other than that i just felt you know this was a great race you're absolutely right i think it was a phenomenal race i was not on the hidden scroll bandwagon and i just couldn't make heads or tails of stuff and so for me it was it was pure sensation as a top play uh play this horse heavy in uh in the tournament as well and uh i had uh, alexandra as, as the lone b uh for multi-race side to hire you always hear people say you know, bet closes on the turf, try to stay away from speed. So now in the last few years, I've tried to find those early speed types, like you say, that, you know, oh, it's a speed type. So a lot of people automatically either cross them out or don't play them. And the horses are always like six, seven, eight to one, which are juicy prices if you know they're going to be alone on the lead. When I was listening to Pete's podcast with JK, and JK said he always, Hidden Scroll is going to be an A for me. And Pete's like, I'm not going to, I'm going to not want to take out suicide insurance in case this horse beats me. I'm just like, what am I missing here? This horse to me just, it's Bodie Express, but like with a hundred million more followers, it seems that for, for this horse to get bet down to, you know, four to one, I'm hoping this is the last time that we see this horse being bet down because obviously lost the jockey you said last time out. Now is in a spot where it's first time turf. What can this horse do? You look at the horse's wins. I mean, blowout maiden special weight, then comes back and wins by 12 in the optional 35 with a slow pace. It just seemed like the horse was completely outclassed, and I don't like taking horses in very big grade stakes like this first time out on a new surface. They can win, but never at 4-1. to one. Uh, I wish I had made this horse my best bet of the day. Alexander, to me, was just such a standout. I love having East Coast form against West Coast horses. It's the exact opposite if you flip it like to dirt sprinting that I want all the West Coast speed. And the horse that I, you talked about Stubbins and Hidden Scroll. The horse that I kept hearing was Kanthaka. What were your What were your thoughts on Kanthaka? Um, I tell you, this was I I didn't see it. Um, what was not anywhere on my tickets. Uh, even you know some of the couple of tries I played in this race uh, wasn't even filling out the uh, wasn't even filling out the tries here. Um, I just I don't know. I just thought very you know very even races that, that you know the the race what was it the uh, the, the Daytona right. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought ran okay. I mean, yeah, finished finished third. You know, beaten uh, you know, beaten a little over two two and a quarter lengths. Uh, you know, again, awful long way off here. I, I I like the idea of coming getting back to a surface. You know, it was a first time gelding, so there are positives there. I just felt the talent in this field was just too much. Not to say that this is not a good horse, right? But 
there are some positives. I just felt that it was you know, this horse was in deeper waters and, and really didn't make uh, really didn't make the ticket title. To be honest with you, for at all uh, in, in my place. The weirdest thing for me was, like I said, taking West Coast versus East Coast. Obviously, was with Jerry. Now is with Graham, who was on the East Coast. But I just said that first race, like. I'm sure, like this horse now, everyone was so on. Like this horse will get bet for sure, and then goes off at sixteen to one. This is the exact opposite of Hidden Scroll. I would have played a horse like Kenthaka here because at sixteen to one, all you have to do is win one race out of ten. You're going to be positive over that ten race sequence compared to Hidden Scroll, where you have to hit you know two or three, which is a big difference when you break it down to doing thousands and thousands of races. Like one or two races can make or break you know a certain stretch of races for you on whether you're like you know your confidence is there or if you're you know in the despair train going back to the ATM after 10 races. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and again, I, I, I totally get, you know, the, the conversation that uh, JK and PTF had is it, just, I, I kind of lean more towards Pete's of just being like, Oh my God, if this horse wins, mm-hmm. like, what am I going to do? Trust me. I had that thought run through my head, but <laughs> I try to keep the logical brain in there. I'm saying, listen, it's just, I feel this is just a different horse. Like you said, it's really trying. It's trying to surface for the first time against a really talented field. I don't like where this horse's figures are going. If you, you know, you look at, um, you know, you, you look at wins from this horse, right? You know, the first one off that off the long way off at Gulfstream. I just waltz. I mean, yeah, it looked impressive, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I think my two hound dogs could have finished second in that race. It just <laughs> controlled that controlled that pace so easily. And I just made a note after that race, showed me nothing. And that's really what I felt. It's not I'm beating up the horse. It's just I want to see something else. And I kind of did. You looked at it in Oakland Park. I mean, you know, I thought stepped out and had kind of a weird a, a weird run in that race. But, you know, was competitive early on and just really folded up shop. And I just – that was kind of the convincing factor for me. Even though this horse is getting on the turf, I like that that surface change. But, again, you got to show me first. I, I just – I'm fully comfortable at that point, even though – early on what happened with this horse and, and, and this horse's career with me. I think looking at a day like today, this is a horse that I'm totally, I'm totally fine losing to, you know, like Andy Sterling says, hidden mm-hmm. scroll wins, I lose. Right. It's just, it was that type of horse for me. And that's why I just, I didn't have, didn't have him anywhere in the ticket. Let's see if I can get Alexander home or if pure sensation can get it home for Matt right here in the ninth at Belmont park. And they're off. A good start for Hidden Scroll, and he's right out for the lead. Lawn twist on the outside. Now Pure Sensation moves up. The gray Pure Sensation now takes the lead from Hidden Scroll. And Stubbins is racing in third. Texas Wedge is next in fourth. Three lengths to Lawn Twist, then Kanthaka, followed by White Flag and Alexandra. The stretch runner is eighth and last already. Ten lengths. From the lead, the quarter went in 21 and one-fifth seconds. It's pure sensation on the inside and hidden scroll on the outside. Nothing between them with Stubbins sitting just off them in third. Another two lengths to Texas Wedge in fourth. Ken Thacker is on the move from fifth. Alexandra begins to pick it up now. Has moved to the outside for the run into the stretch. The half mile in 43 and three-fifth seconds. Here is Stubbins now with a narrow lead. Moving up in between horses, Texas Wedge, Kentucky's on the outside, and Alexandra is coming on now. It is Texas Wedge and Kentucky and Alexandra on the outside. Kentucky and Alexandra, they come for the finish. Alexandra got there right at the end. She won it with a big stretch drive, and the time of the race was one minute six and four-fifth seconds, just six hundredths of a second off the course record. 
And the number two, Alexandra gets it done, paying six fifty with a buyer of 101. I was sweating out that photo, my man. That was one heck of a run. Um, and again, it's just it's one of those you know you, you, deep closers always make me nervous, especially in this situation. I the pace was hot, but not not like death for these horses. Um, but again, just seeing Alexandra make those big strides down the lane and just eating up little by little and needing every inch of that uh, every inch of that stretch. Uh, no, I thought with tremendous uh, tremendous run. Again, if you want somebody coming that that far off the pace, uh, I love Rosario aboard, and just uh, yeah, just just a great race too. Of, of really exciting coming down to the end, and uh, yeah, Alexander needed every inch of the every inch of the stretch to get it done. Are we done with Hidden Scroll? I think can everybody please be done with this horse <laughs> dead last? I mean, just I've I've never seen a horse just be more polarizing than like when Arrogate won Dubai and everyone was just freaking out about the horse for six days. Yeah, um, you know, again, I, I think it's uh, you know back to the uh, back to the barn and kind of scratch your head and figure out what uh, what 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 you want to do. I mean, again, it's it's never my intent to beat up a horse. I just felt like this horse was outmatched. I felt was outclassed, and I think ended up where the horse should have been. You know, considering uh, considering this field. So no, I, I think uh, yeah, I, I think the luster will uh, will will fall a bit when it comes to uh, to hidden scroll. Uh, I'll tell you this. Like I said on Twitter, I've uh, officially assigned the uh, the divorce papers for Pure Sensation. I just I felt not much of an excuse here. I, I get it, a little bit of a bob out of the gate, but made the lead naturally. I felt was mm-hmm. not hustled, was not quartered out of the gate after that. I just felt made the lead naturally. Yes, was pressed. You know the kind of the fear we talked about of you know hidden scroll making the pace pressure there and and maybe uh, maybe cooking Pure Sensation a little bit. I don't know. I mean. I felt that it wasn't a, a torrid pace up front. I thought that's something that Pure Sensation should be able to handle. And unfortunately, two big plays in cash tournaments over the last couple of years, you know, one here and then one that would have got me right in the thick of it for the Breeders' Cup batting challenge mm-hmm. was uh, Pure Sensation. So I think I'll be, uh, I think I'll be moving on. I just, I didn't, I didn't see much of an excuse here. It, it was kind of like J.K. goes, two words that I'll never be using after I like is hidden scroll. Were you a little bit worried about the distance <laughs> as well with Pure Sensation? Like, for me, I heard a lot of people saying five is his, like, you know, go-to. And for you to say that six you thought he was okay at was kind of a surprise to me. Well, when again, when, I, when I'm breaking down the races and I spend a lot of time on, on pace, I just felt I, I was in agreement with 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 Timeform's pace projector. Of I just felt like those two would go on with it, uh, pure sensation and hidden scroll. I just felt hidden scroll was a cheaper speed. You know, I hate to call <laughs> hidden scroll cheap speed, but it kind of was to me. Where I didn't feel it'd be that much pressure on pure sensation. Yes, I get it. More of a specialist going going five, but I, I just I didn't see six furlongs being that that big of a deal. And I felt that this horse can really get in a nice rhythm and just really take them apart on the front end because I felt the best talent was coming from so far out of it that it would be a tight finish, but I, I felt pure sensation would hold on, not really just kind of fold in the tent, uh, you know, top of the top of the lane. I, I, I can see that uh, that pure sensation was done and immediately just kept looking to see uh, horses coming, uh, coming, coming from out of it. And, you know, Alexander with that huge run gets it done. Uh, Kanthaka, I guess uh, if somebody goes, Grand Motion can be happy because the winner – was uh animal kingdom but i mean what a great great training job to have this horse ready 
Fair Hill, man, I mean, that's a tiring training track, and it just keeps showing when these horses come off these layoffs. I love that angle of Fair Hill coming off a long layoff. I would say this, Spencer, one of the horses I was completely wrong on was this horse right here. I mm-hmm. thought Kentaka ran a huge race, huge, huge race here. I mean, really came on, held strong in the stretch. I mean, just to get nipped like that, it's got to just rip your heart out for the connections there, but... Dead, dead wrong. I had I didn't have this horse anywhere in terms of uh, you know exotics uh, uh, you know on the win end, but also underneath and, and exactly and tries. But um, I thought ran an unbelievable race. So yeah, that's that's that was I think one of the best performances that didn't win to me was Kentucky. Uh Quick thoughts on Texas Wedge. We didn't really talk much about in Stubbins third and fourth in this race. I thought Texas Wedge um, would would be a factor. I thought seven to one was was a great price. Um, was tempted to to throw a few bucks uh, on him. Uh, I thought it ran great. I mean, again, I just I think uh, out outran uh, outran the odds. Um, you know, I thought that was great value on on that horse. I I, I thought it ran great. I, I really did. I, I mean, I think again, I didn't think the pace was crazy, so I just felt like these horses really ran in in the lane. And uh, you know, I thought you know, yeah, I thought Texas Wedge ran uh, ran ran well. Do you tend to make notes on a winner horse? Like I always, when I see a winner or a second, I look at the odds and I circle it if it's above ten to one. And if I start finding, you know, certain patterns on horses like that, I just wrote in big letters overachiever. And with these horses, it's just that the the public never seems to get them right. And if I feel like there's a big performance coming, you know, sometimes ten, fifteen to one, I try to play those horses underneath in every race. And a couple, I'll even. Put, play a win bet or a ladder bet on and i think that goes back to just i think the importance of making trip notes and and making notes like in the moment like writing like when you see that happen write that down and then i make notes for myself when i'm going through the review process of okay what was i talking about here what am i looking for and then i'll rewatch that race and see that and again i think i think talk is, is, is an example here um you know i i think in the past when i look at you know uh you know different horses and situations where you see that make that note and then you look back and then you're right. I mean, sometimes these horses come back at huge odds and they just either they fit on the win end or you really feel they're going to win. They're going to run a big race and, and, and fill out the, uh, and fill out the exact and try. So no, I, I you know, again, I, I think making those kinds of notes and going back and watching the race and just getting a better feel for horses that didn't win the race, but had some big runs in, in the stretch. I think that, that's, that's where you find the hidden value, right? Everybody likes to see ones in the past performances, right? If you can find value in horses that made out of one but ran a great race just given the pace or the setup or a trip or whatever the case may be, I think that's where the that's where the hidden value is next time out. Let's finish up this pod with race number 10 at Belmont Park from Saturday. It was the grade one Belmont Stakes going one and one-eighth miles on the dirt. I mean, everyone in this race seemed to have – Everybody I talked to, some people like Tapa to win, some people like Sol Volante, Max Player. Everyone liked a different horse in this race. Where did you end up going? I, I, every time I said this, because this is always the, uh, even though the Belmont's a little different this year, when I have, like, you know, I'm known as the horse guy at work, where I get all the texts and the phone calls of, what do you like in the Belmont? Of course. Every time I say, tis the law. Mm-hmm. And I just, I didn't see a scenario at all. As much as I'm trying to, to, to beat the favorite in a race like this, I just, with the change in distance, the way this, the, the, the style, the running style of this horse, I thought this race would set up perfectly. I thought finally Tisla actually gets some pace to run into. I know certainly was a, was a fast race last out uh, at, at Gulfstream, but I think this, I thought the pace would be even hotter today, would just sit perfectly and, and be able to run these horses down. 
I just struggled to find really anything to compete with Tis the Law, and it was a lone A for me uh, during the day. I know it's not the most creative thing, and everybody was like, well, that horse is the favorite. I was like, listen, I just I can't find a way to really beat this horse, um, you know, barring the jockey falling off. That's that's how confident I was mm-hmm. with Tis the Law, and i got to be honest with you, I haven't been that confident on a favorite in the Belmont in a long, long time. Uh, the last time I think I won the Belmont was Palace Malice, and I had that pick three, which I think was probably my biggest hit of my career because I'm not by any means a big-time baller in the bankroll. So the Belmont's always had a special place for me. I, I picked Tis the Law in the contest. The only horse that I thought just – and it's weird because for the last three months, all we've been hearing is, oh, Tis the Law it's going to the Belmont. Tis the Law is going to the Belmont. And then you see the horses he's up against, and it's like, well, he should have no problem here. The only horse that I kind of gave a thought about was Sol Volante, just because if you raced 10 days ago and you know the type of monster that's waiting for you in New York and you still ship up and you hear he says he looks great in the morning and this and that, it's just when I saw him at 12 to 1, I said I have made the worst mistake of my life because, I mean, dead on the board is that in a nutshell. Yeah, no, and that's that's always the funny conundrum that you're in. You you want that price, but then you don't want that price. You know, when you when you see the when you see those kinds of uh, those kinds of odds out there. No, for sure. Uh, I would say one other that that I I keyed in exact as under his the law. I thought I had a shot to to to, to round out the uh, the exactas and tries. There was Max Player. I, I just thought I, you know, if you're a time form user, you see him coded in uh, or you know formulator, you see him coded in in uh, the pace of, of red or blue and. I always love to see horses closing into the blue. You know, JK talks about that. And I just, this horse can close in slow fractions, can close in, in a hot pace. I just thought one was, that was interesting, but I really couldn't find much else around it. And I played around a little bit with, uh, with the three max player, but I just, again, I, I thought his law just, just completely laid over this field. At 14 to one, definitely good value. And I, I always make this mistake. I'd say, you know, Linda's one for her last 50. I can't play this horse, but one for her last 50 is just to win the race. Like, this horse, obviously, on the improved 68, 72, 86, could easily take that next step up and run, you know, a credible second in a field where we just thought there was the one lone A and maybe only one or two others possible for hitting the board. Yeah, no, for sure. Felt felt the same way, and, uh, you know, I just felt it was uh, – <laughs> I, I, I tried probably 10 different times to look at this race to find uh, find something to compete, and I just, I just couldn't come up with it. Let's see if – Tis the law can get it done in this year's Belmont Stakes right now. And they're off in the 152nd Belmont Stakes. Tap it to win broke well from that inside post position and is going out for the early lead as they make the run from the chute to the main track. And four left is right there in the favorite Tis the Law. Not Far behind the front runners in third. Pneumatics on the outside in fourth as Jungle Runner advances at the rail from fifth. Dr. Post is next in sixth. And then it's three and a half lengths to uh, Farmington Road and uh, Modernist. Then we come back to uh, Max Player, who's racing in ninth. And the trailer is stretch running Sole Volante. The opening quarter went in 23 seconds. Tap it to win. Leads by three quarters of a length. Long shot. Four left on the outside in second. Just behind is Tis the Law, who's racing in third. Modernist has now gained ground in between horses. Moving along with Pneumatic on the outside. Dr. Post is in sixth. Jungle Runner is dropping back. Then comes Max Player as the field races midway on the turn after a half and 46 seconds. Tap it to win is still there. The lead is a length. Four left 
and tis the law. Heads apart, second and third, with Nomadic in fourth. Dr. Post is on the extreme outside. Modernist is now making up a bit of ground. Then comes a Max player, Soleil Volante, and the field is at the top of the stretch, and there goes tis the law now to take over. It's tis the law in front in the stretch, and there's an eighth of a mile to the finish. Dr. Post moves up on the outside into second, but it is tis the law, and the New York Red is going to win New York's Belmont Stakes, the first leg of the 2020 Triple Crown. Tis the law by four lengths over Dr. Post and Max Player. And the time for the mile and a furlong was one minute, 46 and two-fifth seconds. And the number eight, Tis the Law, does get it done, paying 360 with a 100 buyer. What were your thoughts on the race, Matt? Ran as expected. I mean, I just, uh, the, the, the funniest part, we're watching the race, and I had somebody next to me not in the horse racing at all. Mm -hmm. Never watched horse racing. One of the average fans just, you know, loves watching the derby and all that. And then she said to me, it's like, Matt, that horse that you like, it doesn't look like the jockey's really doing anything. <laughs> and I remember turning to her and saying, that is the best thing you can possibly see if you like that horse right now. I mean, Tis the Law just tore him apart. I mean, just, you can tell, just comfortable as can be, sitting in a perfect spot, just waiting to push the button to, 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 to go and, and did exactly that. I just, you know, I mean, just, just left this field in, a, in, a, in, in, in ashes behind him. I just, very, very impressive. It was really cool to see uh, New York Bread get it done. Um, Max Player ran incredible third, improved the buyer up to a 92, just a slow, nice improver for Linda going on for the rest of the triple crown trail yeah no no improved i i thought you know picked up some tiring horses a bit but still a good run i mean i i thought i had a shot there for a second to uh to, to get up for a second but um no i did have i did have uh keaton thurs i did i did have an actually a nice try in that race um but um considering uh tis the law on top but uh no i i i thought i thought max player play, uh, ran a ran a nice race and uh no, again, thought I had a chance to, to get up for second there, but uh, you know, had set up for third. A horse that I didn't really think about much was Dr. Post. And when you look back at his races, I mean, 96 off the layoff, then bounces first time long with an 86. Now you have the third off the layoff. It's kind of the old school, you know, run really good first time out, bounce, and then have that comeback race. And this horse ran a 95 and looked really nice, you know, third off the layoff. And it set at almost eight to one. I mean, the exacta paid nine eighty, so you almost got a twenty dollar exacta for two bucks with a four to five on top. That's pretty damn good value, if I say so myself. Yeah, I mean, I was looking for kind of the way I structured those bets, just looking mm -hmm. for for prices in between. And it, you know, the Doctor Post was somewhere in between, and it wasn't somebody that was really high on. It wasn't a horse that was you know ready to toss either. So I just there was a lot of those horses that kind of just fit kind of together, and it was tough to, to kind of dismantle him. So I, did, I was wide in, in structuring uh, second position and third position on two different bets. I did play the heavier bet with a uh, max player uh, in second than I did keying in third. But, you know, again, sometimes those, uh, those, uh, those try keys, you know, second, third, uh, you know, if you can find the right value, um, you know, it, it can pay nicely. And it, 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 paid, it paid pretty well when, with, this, uh, with this trifecta here. I think Sol Volante coming back on 10 days rest just a little bit too much. Obviously, we know you like Max Player going forward. Any others? I mean, Farmington Road, four left, and Jungle Runner, I think, are just horses that are going to fill out fields and not do much going into the rest of the Triple Crown. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I just there's not there's not anyone that I look back and watching this race, you know, a bunch of times. It's just nothing I really circled that I want to see. 
I want to see coming back. The only one I circled is is Tizzle It's just just such a such a, a talented horse. Ran great. I mean, yes, did get the setup um, that 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 fit the that, that fit the style. But uh, this is a horse to be reckoned with going forward. That's just very very impressive. One last horse, tap it to win. More of just the pace presence. You think doesn't really have the ability to go the uh, the elongated distances we need here for these last few races. Um, yeah, I I, I don't know. It's I, I would like to see I would like to see Tapa to win shorten back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I think the the sprinting distance is 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 perfect for this horse. Um, high natural speed even gets pressed I think can rebreak in, in a sprint like this. I just I, I think I would uh, I would love to see this horse come back in a sprint. Actually, um, I, I think would be uh, would be a perfect spot. Well, that is all the time we have for today. I want to thank my special guest Matt Vagvolgi. Thanks so much, Matt, for coming out. Where can people find you on social media? So I am on Twitter uh, at BlinkersOn22. Um, that's where I am on, on Twitter. And uh, Spencer, I really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed being here today. I think this is a, a great process. I always look forward to hearing how you know, the, the guests you have on and yourself break down different races and, and what you saw and what you look for. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's a process that has really helped me uh, take it to the, to the next level uh, playing horses. We're going to have to have you come back on for some special Saratoga stuff when the meet starts for sure. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Have a good one, Spencer. I just want to say a special thanks to all the fans out there for the In The Money family, those of you who have talked on Twitter with my guests, and just, you know, I really enjoy all the feedback I get from this show. And to thank you to my guest this week, Matt Vagvolgi. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Peter Thomas Fornatale. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin, and our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Cotney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from our love thing.